of the year. Nah, I don't feel like it. Grinch is in town. And now this one is going to go out uh, after the Christmas, so uh, I don't feel like it. Yeah, he has those December that, that December birthday thingy as well. Uh, yes, unfortunately, or fortunately. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who was uh, who, who can never uh, celebrate his birthday uh, as it should be celebrated. How is that? Nobody wants to come. I'm, I was born in the, on the uh, New Year's Eve, so everybody is celebrating New Year's. Nobody cares about me. <laughs> yes, I know. So, what are we up to? I don't know. Storage? Yes, this is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because I was having some storage, uh, I wouldn't say storage issues, a couple of days ago. Uh, Okay. I was trying to convince people that uh, it is completely okay to replace working completely as, uh, functioning uh, drives while they're working and completely functional. Okay. And that uh, having to invest into storage is something that you need to do. So I just basically wanted to <clears throat> go and create a small episode where we are going to talk about um how often do we need to change the drives and do we need to change the drives is it is it possible that we have come to a point where uh the drives need to be changed more often than the, than the computer itself okay sounds reasonable okay so, so let's roll the thingy and then then we talk about it So what's what's my what's my point? <coughs> and we are eagerly awaiting you for you to state the point. Yes. So the what, what's my point? What my point is that uh, today's computers, uh, give or take the last three or four generations, are probably going to last more than your storage is going to last. So your MEMEs, SSDs, and uh, hard drives, especially SSDs are probably going to fail much faster than your computer is going to fail. So the motherboard mm. and your CPU is probably going to be much better off after five years than your disks. So how often do you need to change your disks in order to not be uh, in need of a urgent restore from a backup? Okay. And does it even matter what you do with the disks or uh, are we going to just treat the disks as something that needs to be changed, I don't know, annually or biannually or whatever? I would divide the answer to your question into two different uh, categories or two different, let's say, strategies. The first one being general use case uh, for all of the regular users, whatnot, maybe even free use cases. The second one would be ISO 27000 something companies or something that's governing let's say, data retention. And then the third one would be non-ISO 27000, whatever and similar standard environments in which you don't have uh, any kind of additional rules to govern, or let's say, the data retention periods and whatnot. I would say that there are three different topics to discuss here. Okay, let's let's stick to ITIL because I think that twenty seven thousand. <laughs> no, uh, but I think that twenty seven thousand uh, in this uh, twenty seven thousand one in this particular case uh, doesn't have a lot with to do with uh, wear, wear and tear of the discs. Yeah, it it, no, it, no, it yeah, is okay. directly involved in uh, how to uh, get rid of the discs okay. and how to replace them. But the wear and tear, I probably I think that the problem the most. A uh, common problem that's going to happen is not going to be in the data centers. I think the most common problem is going to be with the people's computers at home, because they are the ones suffering through multiple uh, boot uh, ups, uh, boots ups, uh, boot downs, because in data center basically you power up your computer and then their disk has I don't know uh, 30, thirty cycles and uh, fifty-seven thousand working hours, and in your home computer your disk can without any problem uh, collect thousand or two thousand cycles in a, in a year. 
Okay, this is an excellent point on which to start. Uh, one that I'm very much uh, in agreement with you about. Um, just today I was disassembling a huge rack of storage devices in our previous college because they are moving. And uh, in general terms, uh, my experience so far points to the fact that the more you turn these devices on and off, the more they fail. Yes. Any kind of device, not only storage devices, by extension laptops, per desktop computers, whatnot. Although it is also fair to say uh, that most of the components are still much more reliable than what they used to be when we started in IT. Uh, I'm going to go with partially with your points okay. and i'm going to say that my feeling my gut feeling right now is that the ssds are much less reliable than the hard uh, drives used to be okay. and it could be just a gut feeling mm -hmm. but i think that the problem that the normal users usually have is that they tend to uh, uh, over provision the storage on the disks. So basically, they tend to, tend to keep the storage, uh, the freeze, uh, uh, free per, uh, free size part of the disk that is free. They're keeping it too low, and this uh, creates additional wear and tear on this part of the disk because the SSD itself cannot function if it doesn't have enough space to yeah, distribute, the, 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 distribute okay. the rights. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is one of those things that actually made matters worse. Mm -hmm. And this thing is a big problem. Uh, I want to add one more thing. Uh, the reason why I even uh, thought about this was because the Christmas is right now uh, nearing. And there was a thread and there is an actual uh, study made that uh, the notion that the system administrators will, are going to have problems over the Christmas, uh, Christmas, Christmas Day and New Year's Eve is not something that is just a thing that we think it's a Murphy's law. Mm -hmm. It's also uh, a thing because people tend to lose, they use computers uh, much less during the Christmas and the New Year's Eve. And then the storage devices themselves tend to spin this down mm -hmm. because what they do is they're trying to save the power. Mm -hmm. And then the, the disks that were uh, under enormous load during the whole year suddenly um, spin down, suddenly cool down and suddenly just the thermal stress on the disk uh, becomes a thing and then disks fail. So, so basically nobody should have Christmas vacation. Yes, or you should just be doing the rebuilding of your raids during the, the, the Christmas vacation. So you just uh, <laughs> okay, have the disk do something. Resilvering. Yeah, yeah resilvering. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there are many storage devices that do that all by themselves. So that's completely reasonable. Yeah, uh, uh, you can also kind of link this discussion to various generations of uh, specifically SSDs. If you remember in 2007-8 when first, a little bit less, 2006-7, when first SSDs came out, they were much more prone to, prone to failure than the devices that we have now. Although to, the, to your point that you made a couple of weeks ago in our uh, conversation about certain SSDs, you said that there ain't no way in hell that you would buy certain SSDs like EVQ or whatever they were because of the right cycle, Yes, etc. So they are less, let's say, stable long-term in terms of the amount of rights that you can do on them. So that's also a point that needs to be made when you are buying, uh, let's say, SSDs for your, uh, for your, let's stick to personal computers, laptops, desktop computers, whatnot. This is something that we should actually consider. You know, this, uh, it's not only a long-term thing, it's a thing. But uh, first we need to, basically we need to go more into detail on how disks fail. So first, first and foremost, we need to make uh, a, um, let's say a distinction between uh, mechanical hard disks and uh, SSDs and NVMEs. Mm -hmm. They function completely uh, in a completely different way. We know that, yeah. but they also fail in different ways. Correct. Uh, the SSDs don't have such a problem with uh, power on and power off cycles. Okay. They don't tend to have this problem simply because there is not so many uh, moving parts in it and mm -hmm. they don't uh, suffer from thermal loss, uh, thermal uh, uh, stress uh, on the platters, they don't suffer from the thermal stress on the heads and so on. So power ups and the power downs are a thing for HDDs. And the mechanical failures from dropping or whatnot are basically non-existent. In SSDs well. they're non-existent, in they're non-existent, but 
To be completely honest, the way I, uh, what I saw in the last couple of years, the way people mount uh, NEMEs is that they tend to be prone to mechanical uh, failures because of the, uh, of the connector, uh, connector mm -hmm. because people don't know how to mount the disc. Uh, they usually do it without uh, enough support for the disc itself and they forget to put on the uh, thermal uh, layer on the mm -hmm. disc so the disc itself is pretty loose in the socket so you can actually break down the disc by just uh, vibrating the laptop there's a point to be made there for our motherboard episode from a couple of months ago one of the reasons why this happens is definitely manufacturer mistake and they're becoming more and more conscious of this and they're implementing those easy mount mechanisms with yes. clamps which is the way to go that's that's a very good solution for that because at least then the mechanical aspect of it so mechanical connection between the ssd and the motherboard there is no way in which you're going to just shake the motherboard or a computer and the ssd falls out it's also also impossible. i saw i saw that the modern motherboard by modern i don't mean modern i need new motherboards tend to have small pieces of uh, sponge uh, underneath the disk so once you open the part where the, the NVMe disk should be you have some sort of a support to support the disc in the middle and that combined with the latch that is used to yeah. uh, to put the disc in place creates a much better mechanical bond than that it would be mm -hmm. if a person is just mounting it because people don't understand uh, that the disc shouldn't be movable it should be uh, connected to the motherboard and then the, the connector should be uh, fixed as fixed as possible uh, another, just to add the, f the final detail that I can remember from that perspective, a lot of the high-end motherboards also have those metal coolers on top of them for NVMEs as yes. well. And when you you basically mount your SSD uh, on, on the motherboard, you usually use the latch to basically secure it in place. And then on top of it, you physically put a big metal cooler on, on it and screw it on. So there is no way in which that's going to fall out. So that, that's definitely a good step. Although it makes motherboard more expensive to make, more expensive to buy as well. And it's um, in terms of weight, it become it can become a problem in uh, the highest end motherboards because it's, those are usually it's, it's, very it's heavy. That, well, that thing and the other thing is that we are playing a game of peekaboo about the NMEs. Mm -hmm. Because I know in the last three weeks, I have talked or helped a couple of guys who had their own motherboards uh, without even knowing how many enemy slots do they have. So basically, they put in an, the marketing a one, one BS episode. Basically, mm, it's not the marketing BS. It's just people not reading the manuals, and then suddenly realizing that the part of the motherboard that they sub, uh, they thought was a cooler was actually a core for the NVMe and there is a slot for two NVMe's underneath. And then you have to disassemble a whole computer to put yes, the Yes, you need, to, you need yeah. to remove all the cards and then you need to remove the part of the aluminum and then you need to uh, remove the stickers. And this is one thing that I wanted to mention because you said there is a, a piece of uh, thermal paste or the piece of thermal material, mm -hmm. uh, usually discarded by a sticker. Mm -hmm. uh, enormous number of people don't know that, that they need to remove the label about the sticker. It says remove me, but yeah. nobody does it. So suddenly you have a, a piece of cellophane uh, that is uh, preventing the disc from getting the cooling it needs. Can I add something on a tangent to this? Very short. One other aspect of uh, use cases for the NVMEs on the motherboards and by extension, there are other devices that suffer from the same problem, and many of those, PCI Express cards specifically, because NVMe is mounted basically on PCI Express X4. Uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, following on the topic that you just mentioned, so uh, people not reading manuals, uh, oftentimes people do not configure the motherboard correctly, or even worse, they don't put the NVMe slot in uh, the NVMe drive in a correct slot. This is this is a thing, a big thing nowadays. And, the ID. and just just to kind of also clarify the point about other pieces of hardware suffering from the same problem. Uh, most modern motherboards have multiple X16 slots, which are electric uh, X4 or X1. And if you have a card, let's say uh, 
black magic cards or even video cards, whatever. There are many different types of controllers that physically need X8. Some of them will not work properly unless yes. you install them in a correct slot. By extension, in the manual of the motherboard, you usually know exactly which NVMe slot is connected to the chipset, which one is connected to the CPU, which is very important. And also, is it PCI Express 3, 4 or 5, which is very important potentially for purchasing decisions. But on the other hand, uh, the idea of there being uh, a right NVMe slot and wrong NVMe slot is something that is the stupid, uh, as stupid as hell and it reminds me of uh, having to have a master and a slave and the and uh, switches ID, and, and, switches, switches, yeah. and so on. Exactly <clears throat> the point the, the, that I tried to make in the motherboard design episode. I'm completely against these sort of crappy ideas. Now, I don't care that my motherboard manufacturers think that they already gave us everything on the motherboard that they need. No, that's not the way to go. This is the one thing and the other thing that also bothers me is when they overlap the uh, SATA and uh, NVMe. Uh, and because they overlap the channels for the PCI, uh, PCI Express and they usually either mention it uh, just as a small footnote by saying that you need to disable whatever SATA slot is mm -hmm. that there is uh, in order to enable the NVMEs. Yeah. This is a problem with older motherboards. Now, since NVMEs are much, much, much more uh, in, in play, people tend to, uh, motherboards tend to be configured in such a way that NVMe uh, takes precedence. So in is usually it works. One other thing, <clears throat> I uh, recently, a couple, two weeks ago, I think I got a request from a client of mine. They wanted to assemble a computer that has, let's say four or five PCI Express slots, at least two of them being X16 and the rest of them being X8 physically. Not slot-wise, yes. with what I was discussing a couple of minutes ago. You cannot believe how difficult it is to find a motherboard that supports that, unless you go into the workstation market, which they didn't want to. So forget about TRX, AMD motherboards the, and whatnot. TRX and so on, yes. You know what's the last chipset that actually supports that? No. While it, it's still a workstation chipset, but it's not as expensive as those. No. Uh, the 299 chipset by Intel. Oh, so it's been a while. Almost like five years. Something, maybe even more. And I, I found them an uh, Asus motherboard that has I know, seven PCI Express slots, uh, X16 physically. Uh, sorry, um, X16 in terms of the width of the slot. I think four of them are actual X16 and the rest of them are X8 because they, they need a lot of additional I.O. It, it's not a multimedia type of uh, job that they were looking for. So it's not black magic video, whatever. It's completely different. Now, never mind what it is. But the other it thing, is insanely difficult to configure a computer like that. Yes, the, this is the other one thing. And the other thing is that uh, for some reason or the other, uh, uh, biases uh, have become completely unusable. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to, so basically I had a, uh, I have a colleague of mine who was trying to move his discs from an old PC to a newer one. By old, I mean it was something like it is 12th generation uh, Intel and he was moving to 13th uh, generation Intel. So it is just just one generation old uh, newer PC. And the reason he was moving it is because more or less he got his uh, himself a new workstation and he wanted to uh, leave the old workstation to his kids, whatever. Uh, I needed to just simply move three NVMEs from one uh, from one uh, motherboard to another. Mm -hmm. Straightforward. It took me maybe twenty minutes to understand how to configure this in the, in the BIOS because BIOS wasn't after thirty years me. of doing that. Yes, because BIOS wasn't helping me. Helping me. It just stated that I have two discs. The third one was now nowhere to be found, and then I realized that I need to uh, disable a Sat certain controller. Yeah. A certain controller, I think it wasn't SATA, I think I needed to disable the secondary network or whatever. And then uh, the disk itself uh, became visible. Okay, then I realized that I have a problem because uh, the third disk was in the slowest slot. There is also the concept of a slowest slot in the NVMEs, which is also insane. And then I had to reconfigure the disk, but this is one of those things that is bothering me because we are not moving forward we're moving sideways mm -hmm. we are creating uh, solving some problems then creating new ones it's a solution without a problem that's what we call that yes but uh, at least the windows uh, keeps on working the same on uh, whenever you change the configuration and this is one of those things that, that is unless you have bit locker <coughs> uh, but 
it, as I said, it continues working the same it was working in the previous configuration. If you're lucky enough to have the BitLocker key, yes. Uh, yes, you, you, you're you supposed to put your BitLocker key away on a separate USB disk. You're mm -hmm. not doing this? I have it in Azure Active Directory. Yes. Second best thing. So they are going to create the, uh, the problems with certificates themselves, mm. as they usually do. Mm. But anyways, uh, let's let's go back to the disks because this is not the. We this, have been talking about disks all the time. This is not the motherboard rent. This is the disk rent. So uh, you cannot separate the two. Uh, what I tend to think about last couple of years is that I think that instead of SSDs uh, going into the market and removing HDDs as uh, regular disks, what happened was that the NVMEs have become the primary disks, SSDs are on the way out. And you mean SATA SSDs? SATA SSDs. Okay. And the uh, HDDs with uh, platters are still uh, a thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you, need, if you need storage, you're not going to buy an SSD. You mean if you need capacity? Yes, storage having capacity, yes. If you need a uh, large, large capacity of storage, you're going to buy an HDD, usually. And then if you need a fast disk, you're not going to buy an SSD. Because you're going to go to the NVMEs because they're going to be another magnitude faster. Hence the reason why both you and I, more, more myself I think than you, have such an enormous crap load of external disks. Yes. And that's not user-friendly. Uh, the problem is that we are combining uh, enormous amount of storage that we need. Uh, we have a bias because we also want to have as fast storage as possible. Mm -hmm. And then we are usually using the laptops. Yeah. So this is suddenly become a thing that uh, that you require uh, external NVMEs or external disks uh, in Thunderbolt in, in Thunderbolt in only some and the for other, Thunderbolt laptop yes, yes or, or the USB three whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, the problem is that we would probably get away with a large HDD, but we don't want to do that. Yeah, because large HDD mean, means three and a half inch, which means a large external case and an adapter, which nobody does nowadays. Yes, as a, as a, uh, something that he or she carries with. Uh, I would say that I would be more likely to carry a complete Synology NAS with me than a single uh, three and a half inch uh, HDD, uh, because it would be simpler to set up. Hmm. Okay. So, because it has its own adapter inside it and uh, it is able to function as a separate disk, so it would be much easier to set up if you want to move somewhere. I agree, especially with modern motherboards in mind and the biases. Uh, but, okay, modern motherboards, at, at least we uh, solved the problem of different sizes. Uh, if you think about it, in the last 20 years, uh, the storage uh, is becoming, was going through different stages of being a problem. First, the problem was the size of the disk, then the problem was the speed of the disk, then the, suddenly the problem was again the size of the disk, then we switched over to the speed, then to SSDs. Latency as well. The, then latency, then uh, number of writes, then number of reads, then right now we are, we are dealing with the problems with the connectors, but we are always having problems with the storage. No, we are always having problems with everything. That's the way in which the industry works. Um, but. I would say that disks themselves are right now uh, trying to tie uh, as a bottleneck uh, uh, with the networking. The networking is a problem because okay. people want to have want to things to move as fast as possible. The idea of having an ISDN right now uh, would be completely ludicrous for uh, almost everybody who is into networking. Okay, ISDN being a metaphor for a me mechanical hard disk or something. Yes, but uh, today's mechanical disk would be, uh, what, three orders of magnitude, four orders of magnitude uh, faster than the ISDN. Yeah. It didn't used to be like that. That's also correct. So, uh, right now we are expecting uh, at least 1G network. We are hoping for 2.5G. We are not, we are hoping for 10G. No, we are hoping for 2.5G, but we are probably going to end up with 10G. Uh, while we're on the topic, uh, the reasons of the past and some of the use cases that my clients sometimes have forced me, uh, and I talked to you about this, to buy some extra SCSI stuff. 
uh, we I just received the adaptive controller and um, I bought and uh, do you remember those three and a half inch cases for or five five twenty five inch cases for the for the actual cases in which you could just take like a caddy with the disc. Yes. I bought that for SCSI. Uh, like a free piece one for free discs as uh, at least once or twice a year I get a request to recover something for us from a SCSI disc for uh, uh, legacy reasons which shall not be discussed. Okay, but it's the same reason why I have a zip drive at home. Uh, Our colleague in, uh, the, who works with us actually g g uh, gifted me a, a zip drive some six months ago. He said, yeah, you can have it. If I need it, I'll, I'll ask you. And this is the, this is one of those things that uh, was immensely uh, useful back way then when uh, we were dealing with uh, large files in the desktop industry. Multimedia industry, specifically publishing, was heavily reliant on jazz and on the on, and, on jazz and, and, uh, and the zip drives. And, 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 uh, and this was this was the problem problem we had then. But let's now go back to when do you switch your discs? How often are you aware? Are you even aware of the need to uh, basically throw away your old discs and buy new ones? So here's the deal. I buy uh, Samsung SSDs, NVMEs only. Uh, I only have one exception to that uh, because Crucial was faster with uh, four terabyte uh, PCI Express 5 disc. So I bought that one, but exclusively I have only Samsungs. I also have a tendency to deploy their utilities in Windows and every once in a while, uh, once in a while being every couple of weeks, I actually look at the data that the, uh, you know, control applications, smart. smart and other things that it has, that it's telling me. And uh, usually I don't change the disk until I see something there. But uh, to get back to your point about different ways in which these things fail, Hard disks fail usually, uh, a lot of the times, not usually, but a lot of the times they fail little by little. SSDs yes. usually spe fail spectacularly. Also NVMEs. Yeah, yeah SSDs, and NVMEs, NVMEs basically just disappear. Yeah, they just die. They just die and you lose everything. But I'm, <clears throat> I'm completely fine with this because the backup, the backup has come, uh, has uh, come to a point where you actually have backups. Right now there is no need or there is no reason for you to skip on backups because there are so many different ways you can back up your things and uh, this is not expensive. It used to be expensive. Yes. But right now having a backup is something that is just part of the normal culture. It just is. It just is, yes. So uh, the NVMEs uh, dying down and SSDs uh, dying is just simply a thing that is happening. They are, they are dying because the electronics usually gives up. Uh, Hard drives, well, the platter ones, uh, die little by little. But for example, I have a problem with the drive and right now I'm, I'm trying to solve it. At home, I have my own NAS. My own NAS is based on Unraid. Mm -hmm. I have a single disk and I don't know which one that has a problem because it times out and when it times out, it just completely locks the kernel. Okay. I don't know which disk is it. Okay, there's a simple way to find it. Uh, no, there isn't. Without you physically opening the case and no, everything? No, 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 no. The problem is the, this. The NAS can be working for three to, or to four weeks, then lock up. Oh, you I mean you no don't trace. know which disk it is? Yes, I oh, know okay, which disk it, it is and I have eight of those. No, I thought that you know which disk it is, no, no, but no, you no, don't no, know no, where no. it physically is. No, no, no. I would know where the disk is. I don't know which one. I have eight of those and they are completely the same. Only the serial numbers are different. So all, all are uh, Western Digital Reds. Mm -hmm. And I have absolutely no idea which disk is uh, bothering me. And nothing in the kernel log or something. No, there is no kernel log because it locks up. <laughs> it doesn't write the log. It just locks up on the, on the IO and doesn't write that the IO has been locked up. Oh, it just love. freezes. Yeah, welcome to Unraid. Uh, it's more and more welcome to a low, a low level uh, problems in kernel in Linux. Uh, because Linux kernel is not that uh, resilient when it comes to disks uh, having problem with reads. I, I don't know why. Okay, you know what I'm looking forward to? Well, when I, uh, uh, as long as I mentioned the Adaptech PC Express controller that I just got, I cannot wait to put that in Windows 10 or 11. Because, uh, yeah, SCSI stack as such it's not only that it's here, it's here to stay. It's a part of all of the modern standards, SAS, SATA, 
whatever, does stream, USB, Firewire, whatever, everything is SCSI based. That being said, the uh, the support page for Microsemi, who we bought uh, Adaptech and then not afterwards but was bought by Broadcom as well, states that the last supported OS is Windows XP. I'm guessing that it's going to work in Windows 10 as well, no problem. If it isn't, well, another use case to do some things because it, if you think about it, it makes no sense for that type of a controller not to work in Windows because it's PCI Express controller which if you kind of like go across the timeline, you would kind of say a PCI Express became popular basically after Windows XP. Yes, but uh, on the other hand, I just uh, I was uh, browsing the news a couple of days ago when I saw the news that what Microsoft is doing right now, they are committed to uh, reworking the Windows printing uh, printer's pool. Just like um, uh, Apple is reworking their um, uh, disk-based stack, they're removing uh, traces of firewire and stuff from the kernel. Okay, but uh, Windows printing printer spool, uh, printer spooler. Coincidentally, one of the worst pieces of software ever written. Has been has been. Um, let's say a bumpy ride at best uh, for all the, the users pain of our existence and right now right now what what they're promising is, is that they're going to be zero drivers oh yeah i remember and that they are going to be able to like class drivers for usb audio yes and i having all the, the knowledge and all the experience with windows that i have this is what probably sixth or seventh time that they have uh, messed with the windows print spooler and I have a sneaky suspicion that this is not going to be the last one, mm -hmm. and I have also a suspicion that this is not going to be the one that's going to solve the problems. I had the problems with print spooler yesterday. It's a, it's an everyday thing. Yesterday, I just didn't want to print on my connected USB but printer, the, the and then uh, I didn't want to cancel. And then it didn't want to cancel whatever I did. And then I went into shell, deleted the file, restarted the service, as you should. And it's okay. After that, it started printing. Nothing changed, no reboots, no cable reconnection. It's just the way in which print spooler is. But, uh, okay, but you are going to have the problems with print spooler every time you print. Yes. It's, it's more or less the... The continuous thing in the universe. Unless, yeah. unless you uh, are printing something completely useless, and then the printer spooler is going to behave excellently, but the renderer is going to break. And you're going to get uh, 100 odd pages of uh, just uh, machine, code. Uh, machine code and random characters instead of a single page of an it's image. It's not visible at all dude, <clears throat> that we have a boatload of experience with HP printers under Linux. It's not really visible uh, at all. But it's not only HP printers. I know. Um, but it was a common thing. But I would, I would say that I much prefer printing under Linux uh, using um, uh, PostScript okay. and PostScript renderer mm -hmm. than uh, leaving it all to Windows. Because uh, Windows is like a box of chocolates. You, you, never, ne you know never know what is going to come out of the printer. Mr. Forrest Gump. Yes, so, but the problem is that you, you never know what's going to happen. You print single, a single page, you uh, see your printer uh, powering up and then two pages come out. No, no. You, and you, you suddenly realize to... you have a problem, but you don't know which one. No, no. More commonly, you just leave it to print, uh, and you think that it's printed out dozens of pages that you need, for example, for your accountant or something, just like it usually happens to me. And then you get to your accountant, and all of a sudden you realize that it has printed a thing, which also tends to happen quite what a lot. What you need is you need your accountant's printer to be connected to internet print. No, we solved that problem by me carrying a laptop with me and then I just USB connect his printer and then I can actually verify, uh, was, which uh, is not the solution, but it's still something. But since, since we went on a tangent of a tangent, uh, uh, probably 10 years ago or so or something, uh, when the web printing and internet printing became a thing, mm -hmm. uh, I was dealing with a, a Canon printer, I think mm -hmm. it, was, it was a multi, uh, it was a multi-purpose printer, one of the refrigerator-sized mm -hmm. uh, things, and uh, I had a colleague who was uh, a higher up in the hierarchy of the university I was working for, and he was extremely excited about having being able to print directly this printer, and then he enabled by himself he enabled the print because he was then he was able to print from home directly to the office. 
And yeah, you don't want to do that. And this is he, this is an amazing <laughs> thing for for him. And then uh, how much did the printer stoner or the the print the paper reserves last after that? No, it's not. No, it, this wasn't the problem. The printer, the printer kept locking up. And then we called the. It's actually good. We called uh, called the Canon guys, and they said. Okay, can you please not enable the uh, internet printing? Because internet printing, the printing breaks uh, every other type of printing on this printer. So you can either print over the internet or you can use all the other functions of the printer. So if you want to do use Exclusive any other function, <laughs> yes, if you don't use any other function, do not use the internet printing. That's okay. awesome. Okay, in terms of the, the, going back to the original topic, which was the hard drives. So we kind of talked about the the idea of how you would use and when you would replace, let's say, hard drives, whatever, NVMEs uh, on the desktop. In terms of the, the other types of scenarios like data centers, storage devices, and or still the topic that I want to cover, which is ISO governed or whatever standard governed companies, the approach to that is vastly different. Um, and actually there are some things that you can kind of like generally say, like generalize. And I think you both noticed this with me in the past couple of years as, as I've been doing maintenance for our server room. Uh, if I have a server that has 10K drives or 15K drives versus a server that has 7.2, the failure rates are galaxies apart for those. 7.2 drives, I cannot remember the last time one of them failed. 10K, one every two years, even when I'm buying them, you know, uh, refurbished. 15Ks tend to fail quite a bit. Hence the reason why I usually keep a box of, uh, you know, spare disks pre-formatted or basically wiped out in the data center so that I can just... And that's proven to be, generally speaking, a good, uh, let's say, uh, practice for, uh, for us, especially since we years ago moved to virtualization. So I don't care about the local disks anymore all that much. I have basically all servers in RAID 1 for the OS, and that's that. Everything else is on storage. So the, the fundamental use case of, the, of uh, disks on servers in those environments is almost non-existent. You don't need to change them. You just replace them regularly, have them on stock, and that's that. And they don't fail as much because you just don't need 15K drives anymore. Yes, but when... For, for, for servers, not for storage. But when you're dealing with the lower-end uh, small office, home office uh, solutions, and by low-end, I mean almost any, any synology that is uh, It's based. not low-end necessarily, but okay. Okay, but let's call it low-end uh, network, network test storage because it is. Uh, Synology is the, is the cheapest working solution that you can buy if you have a small office. Okay. Uh, if you have some uh, something some other solution that uh, is in this price range, tell me. Cunapenticus. But they are all slightly more expensive. Yes, but... As, as, as slightly. So Synology is, is probably the, the cheapest one. I wouldn't call them the cheapest. It's not only about the, that, sorry to interrupt you, but I would say that, uh, that Synology is also better than them. Uh, unless you buy the play version. Okay. And, but the problem is that the small offices are going to do it. Yeah, okay. Because they're going to say, okay, this is the uh, same, same thing, but this one is play, so I, I'm going to be better off if I just uh, uh, save $40 or 40 euros and I buy the cheaper version. And then I'm going to get a Synology drive that is going to help me do whatever it needs, needs to be done, usually storing some uh, movies or some uh, music. You know what's mm. the first thing on the tech spec sheet that I look for in Synology, uh, let's say, storage, when I'm buying it for corporate use? IOPS. What? IOPS. No. No? No. CPU. Because um, most of them are ARM-based, the smaller <coughs> ones. They're actually mid-range ones, they're ARM-based nowadays, and they just don't have the juice. So I'm just buying the Intel-based ones. Uh, uh, yes, but uh, by my experience is that unless you're buying at least mid-tier uh, Synology, uh, you are not going to get enough uh, yeah, CPU, yeah. CPU power at least for anything yeah. other than just uh, running the disks. Yeah. And all the other things that the um, people who are running small offices tend to use are going to be awful. Yeah. And uh, one of the biggest problems that I saw when I was dealing with uh, people in the field or people who know, uh, who know me and then try to call me to solve problems 
is that they usually, uh, I wouldn't call it oil provision, they usually insanely oil provision the uh, Synology because they buy the cheapest one. The, cheap, the cheapest one is supposedly able to run uh, virtual machines, it's able to run dockers, it's able yeah, to run applications and everything else. And then suddenly it's not able to write anything to the disk because it doesn't have the CPU power or the bandwidth available to... Okay, we need a clear distinction here. Our provisioning that we discussed with SSDs has nothing to do with this over provisioning. No, 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 this no, no, is no. basically resource over provisioning. Yes, it's, it's they over there provisioning resources as such they're not provisioning storage yeah because the storage itself uh, is, is secondary thing there uh, and I think this is one of the things that uh, I have two big uh, issues with or no no, no. Uh, two big companies that are doing the same thing Synology is one and Mikrotik is the other mm -hmm. what they're doing is that they are trying to create <coughs> sorry <coughs> What are you trying to do? Pudding. So I have a problem with I have a problem with Synology being one and the Mike Mikriti being another one. Mm -hmm. uh, the, what they are trying to do is they are trying to standardize the uh, user experience across all the all the older devices, and they device range that they are covering with the same user experience and the same things that they are using. Uh, okay. It's usually from, in Mikrotik's case, because they are doing the routing, the routers and switches, you can buy it as cheap as 20 euros, mm -hmm. and the most expensive one is 2,500 euros mm -hmm. or more. And they supposedly have the same uh, feature set. It okay. is the same with Synology. They are claiming that the Synology that you buy for 120 euros is the same Synology that you can buy for 2,000 uh, euros. And they are offering the same features. But okay, they, in terms of features, in I terms understand. of features, okay. But then suddenly you uh, run into uh, ideas because people see, okay, mm. now I can run a VM on my NAS and Kubernetes and, and whatnot, Kubernetes yeah. and whatnot, yeah. and then then suddenly you try to run uh, twenty uh, different virtual machines on a system that is barely able to to, to talk to the disk. Mm -hmm. The same with Mikrotik. I yep. have seen Mikrotik that were used for MPLS uh, and they yeah. were, and they were essentially, essentially the uh, 30 euro version one that is supposed to be just a small router intended for a hotel room when you're away so you can actually route your uh, traffic through it. Mm -hmm. That's it. And this is one of those things where the um, uh, manufacturers are doing a disservice to themselves. Yes. Because you suddenly think that uh, think if you don't see the higher end uh, versions of the pro uh, product, you suddenly think that your product is faulty. Mm -hmm. Because it should be telling you, okay, this is theoretically possible, but let's not for the life of yeah, 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 let, let's just let's not do it. Or yeah. it, should, it just should, should be limited to I don't know one virtual machine per device. That's it. One of the reasons, uh, okay, the third use case, for example, the ISO 27000, whatever companies, doesn't really matter. One of the reasons why I like working with those uh, for those companies, and I've been doing it for 15 years now, is the fact that we get to do stuff with disks. Yes. We get to beat them. We get to beat the crap out of them. We get to drill them. We get to play hard disk foosball with them. We get to throw them from the uh, from whatever floor of the building we are in, and then uh, basically we office space them. For those of you who know what the office space series is, that's what we do. Office space pr uh, sprinter scene. Look it up. And we do that regularly. So I, I don't remember what's the policy. Is it three years or something? But I do have a colleague uh, on-site admin for each of those companies that uh, I work for. They have a spreadsheet with the dates when the hard disk was installed. And then after three or four years, I don't remember, uh, they usually call me up and say, do we want to have a hard disk party? You know. And when we do, it's fun. Okay, but uh, destroying the hard disk is, is one thing, but uh, replacing them is something that, we, that everybody should be doing. Okay. You should be, you should be creating... I mean, we are killing them and then replacing them, of course. Yes, yes, but I mean. uh, you should be replacing the hard disks nevertheless, uh, without uh, any consideration of 2001. Uh, you should be, if you have an S at home, mm -hmm. you should be replacing your disks every three years. Uh, People don't have the money for that. I don't think that the amount of money that you're, you're going to be paying if, you ha if you're a small office or if you're a small uh, consumer is going to be that much. 
because right now uh, if you are running if you are running let's say a storage of 10 terabytes okay uh, replacing the two disks that you're going to have in RAID 1 mirror is going to be what 400 euros yeah every two years that's mm -hmm. not too much to pay for to, to be able to safely uh, have storage that is not going to give up on you that's okay if you're some kind of a corporate entity but for home users that's never going to happen okay it's just it's just a thing that I think should be happening okay for as a best practice or as a policy okay that's that's perfectly reasonable because if you ask me or if you ask you four years ago uh, is an earthquake a problem for data centers people will say no it isn't it's just a thing that we, sh we should be prepared for but uh, nobody cares years and years ago so anecdote years and years ago in 2000s when I started doing uh, ISO 27 and 1 courses as a part of CompTIA Security Plus, Plus certification process there is a chapter there about various types of risks because these frameworks are all about various types of risks financial operational corporate whatever and within that chapter there was a, there, there there was a couple of pages about various let's say natural disaster type uh, of situations whatever for the natural disasters yeah. yes and amongst other things there was of course the floods we had that in Zagreb yes. many times in past 15 years earthquakes we had two major ones yes fire uh, in that book it was written that something like 85% of the corporate entities who had fire in their IT uh, let's say infrastructure never opened again so that's a very worrying sign, something like that, not far from 85%, something like that. There were uh, actually anecdotes about various, let's say, a little bit weird people, you know, uh, attacking corporate entities because of whatever reason nowadays. It's because of the, I don't know, energy footprint or something. It used to be uh, that a lot of activists were attacking various types of oil companies, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm not getting into the politics of it, but it was explicitly written there that that's also part of the, let's say, corporate uh, operation risk. Uh, as you know, the, the only thing that, and we commented on this after the, the, those two earthquakes a couple of years ago, that the only thing that's left, we have to have some kind of a volcano eruption. And I don't want to make joke of that because Iceland is seriously troubled right now with the volca volcano eruption. And that was a semi joke. But the big one was we, the only thing that we need to have is some kind of a, let's say, insect based. Yes, locusts. The lo locusts should lo take locusts over. Because we did, we did the plague, we did the uh, flood, we did the earthquake so not the locusts yeah just the locusts are the, the logical next step and yeah it's it's not funny anymore after you survive all of that and see that in action uh, it's not funny when you see that a major uh, ISP uh, is uh, basically uh, offline for six or seven weeks because of a major fire in the data center that happened, that, because, that happened of because of the earthquake and that happened because of the bad data set design and this is some of those things that uh, are after the fact they're, they're completely normal people that are suddenly realize oh no you shouldn't be designing a data center like this yeah. but on the other hand uh, the risk assessment matrix mentions earthquakes but nobody paid any attention because we are not, not going to be uh, in an earthquake uh, in our lifetime yeah it, it still happened and, and yes and then, then it happened uh, by the way, uh, do you know what was the second thing that I did after our first earthquake? So the first one was, of course, call everybody around, are you okay, blah, blah, blah. Talk to your guitars? They... Talk to what? Talk to your guitars? No. <laughs> Come on. No. Because I... our colleague of ours, yeah. uh, when the earthquake came, he was uh, home with his uh, wife. Okay. He actually took his guitars and went out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's next level. Crazy. No, uh, actually, after uh, I called, you know, family members, whatnot, uh, we talked uh, as well. It was early in the morning. The, the first thing that I did is I got, you know, I got my, into my car and went to our uh, corporate head, headquarters to check what's ha what happened with our ex. Is exactly the first thing that I did. And I was among the first three people who arrived, opened the, the server room, and to my greatest luck and to my very much happiness and everything, the only thing that happened was one of the 2.5-inch hard drives 10K failed. Just replaced that one, everything was working properly. It was like, uh, yeah, because for, that was no joke. 
for me it was uh, I uh, took immediately took a look at uh, because I had a surveillance camera in the, in the center and I could see that there was a lot of dust uh, mm-hmm. happening after the earthquake but everything seemed to be fine because everything was working and then I, uh, it took me a couple of hours because before I got my bearings and then I went there and uh, the thing was that when I opened the server room the entire server room was covered in glass no, it was covered uh-huh. in glass because we had security glass on the um, on the racks, mm-hmm. and all the planes of glass broke at the mm-hmm. same time. So I had uh, small pieces of glass from Shards, something yeah. like twelve or fourteen doors, uh, fourteen rack doors, uh, all across the room. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go in. So I, uh, the first thing that I needed to do is in order to just walk in the room to grab a broom and make my path so I can go, uh, go in through a pile, of, uh, pile, through, through a pile yeah. of glass and then I then I called calmly called the, the uh, maintenance in the building and said can somebody help me I have some something like 50 or 70 kilos of glass on my floor can something come up with a, um, a vacuum cleaner and help me clean, clean it up and they said what I said, I just need to clean up 70 kilos of uh, glass can somebody help me and then came the girl and said we're going to be needing a larger vacuum cleaner for this. Mm-hmm. And then they went and got the industrial uh, one. For, no, you needed a stack of shovels to do that. Yes, but basically, but basically this is the only problem. Uh, what I wanted to say was that after the earthquake, we changed the disks. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't change the disk because we had to change the disks. Because uh, the reason why we changed the disks was simply because we didn't fa- feel... Um, that we had any more uh, reliability left in those disks because they were they were through shock. This shock wasn't something that they were designed for. So basically, you checked the smarts and whatnot. No, 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 no. I just just simply, I just it. preemptively did it because there weren't that many disks. I had something like fifty terabytes of this, so maybe I don't know uh, two arrays of eight disks each. I just changed those those arrays, removed everything. And then I put those discs offline, put them into into the uh, into the cupboard, and said, "Okay, we are going to use them whenever we need this because the discs were something like eight terabits each. Every single one of them failed after we uh, tried to use it. Yeah. So, uh, out of the sixteen discs or so, every single one failed after we powered them down, and they were down for a while. Exactly as we were saying. That's why you keep stuff powered on, uh, less electrical shock, and in the case of hard disks, that's also coupled with the mechanical shock, shock, so and temperature based and temperature based and whatever is happening in the chemistry on the platters and and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, absolutely correct. And actually, uh, uh, and I would use my my use case as an example of something that people mostly don't do, or although I'm uh, noticing it more and more actually. Uh, at home, I don't necessarily turn off my computer, you know, and I'm me, noticing, me oh, yeah, I'm noticing a lot of people, more and more people not doing it. I personally am doing it specifically for this reason, because I'm aware of the fact that powering them on and off and on and off millions of times, that's a special type of electric shock. I decided that I'm going to uh, remove my disks and put them in the, into an Android box that is going to be separate. It's going to be powered power on 24-7. And then my computer right now is running on a single NVMe disk. So it's completely noiseless and I can uh, I can use it. Okay, with, uh, with an asterisk because uh, it has a graphic card. And suddenly people with the graphic cards decided to go insane with uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fans or whatever. So right now my plans are to uh, step down my graphic card to something that is going to be completely noiseless. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying, I'm aiming for a net PC concept in a big, <laughs> in a big desktop case. I'm noticing that, so if you mentioned that you're going to silent, that means you have Titan XP to spare. I know where it needs to be. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. Yes, okay. So anyways, uh, did we cover the, uh, everything? I think we did. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe maybe we could spare a moment or two and talk about the USB flash memories as a part of it as well, if you want to. Uh, I have only one thing to say. Mm-hmm. I consider those just the throwaways. I uh, mm. completely uh, have no uh, trust. trust in there being there being any reliability in the uh, USB uh, drives, and I'm more than likely to just go with the. I'm not going to say cheapest ones, but I usually buy 
this uh, USB sticks that are not bigger than 60 gigabits simply because I know that I'm going to throw them away, I'm going to forget them, and I'm not lose going to them everywhere. lose yeah. them. I'm not going to trust, put any trust into them. Yeah, that's because your use case is vastly different to mine, and they're basically polar opposites in the use case of the uh, of the USB disks. It's either what you're doing or what I'm doing. There is no middle. For me, having the fastest possible USB disks with at least 128 gigabytes of memories, uh, and I have a couple of 256s as well, is a must for some of the things that I do in, in classroom for installation purposes. Because if I have a USB disk that does, I'm going to be stupid here, 20 megabytes per second read versus a 200 megabyte per second read, if I have to deploy something on a set of computers, that's going to be a massive time difference for me. And I don't want to waste time on you know, waiting for a computer to be installed. So for that purpose, most of my USB sticks are usually quite larger than 16 gigabytes, and they're usually the fastest that money can buy at that point in time. I change them once a year. Uh, in the past couple of years, I've kind of like driven myself into this tempo of changing, changing them once a year. If I need that kind of speed and that kind of uh, performance, I would probably go with an external case for the MME mm -hmm. and yeah, use and, and use it uh, through USB three or uh, Thunderbolt. Because yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy I a USB stick. I cannot do it that way. Uh, <coughs> I cannot do Thunderbolt because my, uh, two computers don't support it where I need to use it. And I don't want to carry around large cases with, uh, I have enough of these external disks. I have probably 20 of them or something. Don't want to carry them around. USB sticks are perfect. One of the reasons why is they are price versus performance versus space efficiency is really good. That's my use case. And uh, even forgetting about the fact that there are some things that I do uh, in terms of, let's say, Red Hat education and whatnot, um, it's written explicitly that we should use uh, either USB disks or sticks. And my choice is to use the sticks because they are so much, so much, much smaller. Okay, okay. It's just, it's just, uh, I don't trust them. Yes, it's not that they don't use them. Uh, that's why I change them every year. So that's completely different to NVMe here or NVMe in my other laptops or whatever. That's completely different. Because you can, you can have, uh, if you're dealing with external disks, you can also have uh, different, uh, extremely interesting things. Like the uh, case that you bought that is able to boot uh, VHDs and able to boot uh, ISOs from uh, yeah, uh, USB 3. This is just a, simply a thing that is more or less a must for somebody who is doing uh, who is doing some, installations lots of installations. installations. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but these are edge cases. Yeah. Uh, Why I'm not mentioning it. From the from the perspective of a regular user, I don't trust a USB stick. Okay. I'm yes. just going to go with I don't trust them. They're just throwaways. I'm going to go with the smallest one possible right now. I'm leaning towards uh, cheaper, faster 8 uh, gigabyte drives because they are enough for me to put any installation of any uh, operating, operating system on it. But then I don't need to care about what is what's on the disk. Because my usually, uh, usual um, politics is that you put only things that I'm completely fine with losing on the disks. So I'm not going to put any uh, docu data. personal documents or personal data on, on the disk. Okay. And uh, so if something happens to it, if I, do, if I uh, format it uh, by mistake, nobody cares, let's go, uh, that, that's it. So I don't need to care about those because okay. I also have, I don't know, 20 of those uh, probably at home. Mm -hmm. So I just don't care about those. I'm just saying it's a throwaway. I don't care. Okay. Are we done? Uh, did you cover everything? I think uh, we did. Yes and no. I was just wanted to want, I just wanted to mention cloud, one more thing. Cloud coming, cloud coming. No, you have absolutely no idea what's how it's coming. Uh, do you know what I miss most? What? The tapes. I don't, but there is a reason for that. Okay. Yes, ahead. but I miss the tapes. I miss okay. the tapes because of the when you said that uh, price, performance and speed is something that is uh, good when it comes to USB sticks. I think that if they were able to solve the problem of the drives, not the tapes themselves, but the drives, the price performance since the storage amount that the tapes are able to hold would be something that a lot of people would be using at home. Yeah, but the drives themselves are extremely, extremely expensive. And they are mechanically really not reliable. They're very, very sensitive to light, to heat, to 
you know, sunlight. Yes, stuff but the, the, this this was the problem that we had with CDs, and then it was sold. And the problem was the um, uh, just the uh, what you want is magneto optical. That's what you want. Ammo. So main discs. <laughs> Let's bring back the main disc. I was seriously considering buying one last week. Uh, I almost got one last week. <laughs> Um, for no particular reason. Okay, can I, before we close the session, can I go on a tangent of a tangent of a tangent? Yes. You mentioned this like 30 minutes ago, so I'd like to follow that up. Where's my 4L? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. I'm just I'm just waiting for somebody for it to, to drop out the to thin call air. and say I have a 4L to spare. Mm, yes. Okay. Thank to you. To just very much. to just to just see it when I'm uh, browsing to somebody else's old computers and I say I did this one. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> because this is the this is the way that I get all my old hardware. Yeah. I usually go somewhere where I see old computers and say, "Do you need this?" And they usually say, "No, we don't. Do you want it? Yes." <laughs> and that's it. So no money changes hands. I have uh, old computers and that that's fine then. Okay. Okay, so I have been Yasmin, this has been a veteran. Still. Uh, thank you for being with us and see you next time. Bye.